couple of weeks ago, some friends of ours took our kids to the Seattle Aquarium. And my youngest daughter, Lucy, was looking at the suction cups on the octopus arms. And she asked, how did God make the octopus without getting the suction cup stuck to him? <laughs> and our friend said, well, why don't you ask your dad? He's a pastor. <laughs> and she said, yeah, but he hardly knows anything. I thought that was a very practical question. And I wonder, as we've been going through this series this fall about how when we surrender everything we have to Jesus, he fills us up with his power. I wonder, have you had a practical question too? Exactly how do we do that? What does that look like, practically speaking, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, for the next two weeks, I want to talk about that. Next week, I'm going to talk about how we can hear from Jesus, how we can hear him speaking to us and guiding us. This week, I want to walk through a story in the book of Acts where the Apostle Paul, I think, shows us what a day-to-day -day surrender to Jesus looks like in practical day-to-day -day terms. And I'm just going to kind of take this story section at a time. It starts out by saying, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. I think the first thing this story tells us practically, what it, mean about pra what it means to surrender to Jesus practically, is it means going on a journey without maps where God does the driving, not us. You know, and this, Paul has all of these plans, right? Plans to go to Phrygia, plans to go to Bithynia and other places you can't pronounce. But he surrenders those plans and lets Jesus do the driving. And I think that is very hard for us to do because we like to control things and we have all kinds of plans, right? For we know the plans we have for us and we do not want to let go of them. We want to control everything, our money, our time, our future, other people. I even heard of one control freak. This goes sort of an extra step. He tried to control things even after he died. He left his entire estate to his wife on the condition that she get married again. That way he said there'll be at least one man who will regret my death. Ouch! Like control freak, right? And mean to put that in the will, right? Control, control, control. But a fully surrendered life to Jesus is going on a journey without maps where he does the driving, not us. And he does not give us the 10-year plan. It's always one step at a time. In this story, Paul is only given the next step, go to Macedonia. But Lord, if I do that, what will happen? Go to Macedonia. Well, then what? Go to Macedonia. Well, what comes out? Go to Macedonia. And the reason God only gives us one step at a time is so that that forces us to rely on him daily. You know, if I got, if God downloaded my 10-year plan, I would probably say, thank you very much, God. Check you again in 10 years. But he gives it to us one step at a time, so we have to keep hanging on to him in relationship. The first thing we surrender is our plans and control. And that has a huge benefit, which I'll tell you about later in the sermon. So you have to keep paying attention. The other thing this passage tells us is that surrender means doing things that may not make sense at the time. 
know, Paul's best logic told him to take the gospel east into Asia, but God turned him west to Europe. And, and at the time, that probably seemed kind of foolish to Paul. Didn't make much sense. But long run, it was better. Because by going west to Greece and Rome, which was the center of the known world, where there were roads and commerce and exchange between cultures, that allowed Christianity to grow faster. When we surrender our lives to Jesus, he may ask us to do some things that don't make sense. Give 10% of your money to his work, even in a recession. Forgive someone or let go of some anger that you're hanging on to against someone. Even if it maybe doesn't make sense, well, what will they do to me and I don't know and let it go. Maybe it's take a less prestigious job to do something God is asking you to do. May not make sense. But full surrender means doing those things that may not make sense at the time, trusting that God really knows what we really need and he knows best more than we do. And there is a huge benefit to that, which I'll tell you about later in the sermon. The story keeps going. Paul goes to Macedonia, and then it says that on the Sabbath, we went to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Then she and the members of her household were baptized. Now, what's happening here is Paul is looking for a synagogue to pray in. But it took a minimum of 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue. So the fact that what Paul found was a group of women means that there weren't enough Jewish men in that town to create a synagogue. And in Paul's culture, that would have looked like a dead end. Because in that culture, women were considered nothing. But Paul surrenders his cultural assumptions, and that group of women becomes the first church in Europe. And then the story goes on. <clears throat> and it says, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said in the spirit, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. Sort of a sanctified shut up, right? And at that moment, the spirit left her. I, I mean, I just love that. Paul gets so irritated that he heals someone, you know, as you do, right? What this shows is that full surrender to Jesus means surrendering every minute of every day to be available to what God is doing to be interruptible. <clears throat> and I just love the picture you get in this passage right here where Paul's just bopping along through his day, but his eyes are always looking. He is constantly looking for what God is doing in that moment. And where other people would have seen just a group of women, Paul sees that God is forming the first church in Europe. Where other people would have seen this kind of possessed woman, Paul sees someone Jesus loves and wants to heal. And when we surrender every minute of every day, when we get up every day and we say, Lord, what is it you want to do today? Can I help? When we go into our office and we, our neighborhood or school or whatever it is, when we go in there every morning and say, God, what do you want to do in this place today? Can I help? When we surrender every minute and we're always looking for what God is doing and how we can join him, life becomes this huge adventure. You know, when we think of surrender, we think, you know, oh, he's going to make me sell everything and go to Africa and be a missionary. Well, maybe. But more likely, he's going to want you to be asking him to see what he's doing in the local Starbucks, in your office, in your home, in your neighborhood, so you can be a part of that with him. There's a Christian writer named Lee Strobel who used to be an atheist journalist until he started following Jesus and he became a pastor. And 
one day he got out of an elevator, ran into an old reporter friend of his. And he hadn't seen him in a long time. And this friend said, Lee Strobel, you old so-and-so, what are you up to these days? And Strobel said, well, I'm a pastor. And the guy looked kind of shocked and he said, Lee Strobel, a pastor? Well, I'll be damned. <laughs> and Strobel said, you don't have to be. And that led into this whole conversation about Jesus and church. And this guy got interested, started coming to church. A couple of months later, became a Christian. Getting off an elevator became this thrill ride, this adventure. Because he was always looking, what's God want to do? What's God doing? Can I help? A great prayer to pray constantly starting tomorrow is Jesus right here today in my office, right here in my school, right here in my neighborhood. Jesus, today, what do you want to do? And can I help? That may mean listening to someone in need. It might mean serving someone in some way. It might mean extending some love to an extra grace required person. You know, that kind of person. They, we all have them, right? They kind of get on our nerves. They're hard, hard to love. Surrender may, meaning, may mean extending some grace to them. And if you don't have any extra grace annoying people in your life, let one of the pastors know and we'll assign you someone. <laughs> Maybe even one of the pastors. Billy Graham's wife was once asked, what's it like living with such a spiritual giant? And she said, oh, it's just so daily. <laughs> Full surrender to Jesus is just so daily. And there's a huge benefit to it, which I'll tell you about later in the sermon. Back to the story. Well, when the fortune teller's demon is gone and her owner realized that he didn't have a chance of making any more money off of her, he got mad. And the text says he seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer fastened their feet in stocks. Truth in advertising. There is a cost to full surrender to Jesus. Full surrender to Jesus has a cost. And we preachers don't tell you that very often because we want to keep you coming to church. So we emphasize all the ways that Jesus makes your life easier, and in some ways he does. But sometimes there's also a cost to following him. What if I give my money to God's work and the economy gets worse? What if I give up that high-paying, prestigious job to do that thing I know God wants me to do and it'll probably bring, bring me meaning and significance, but what about my comfortable life? What if I surrender my marriage to Jesus and do it his way? That might mean that I have to die to self a little bit. That might mean I have to admit I'm wrong in some places or apologize. What if I let go of that anger? What, what will happen? Right? Sometimes there's a cost to following Jesus, and that's why we are afraid to surrender. That's what holds us back, right? We are afraid to surrender. And everything in our east side culture tells us to run away from that fear. But God calls us into the middle of that fear because that's where we're going to meet him. A small way that I have surrendered to Jesus is doing men's fraternity. And for me, there's a cost involved. It takes a lot of time because I have to write now two talks a week. But more to the point, it creates this kind of spiritual battle in me almost every week. I love doing it. I love being there. It's always a huge charge uh, every Tuesday morning. But also alongside of that, every week the devil just loves to bug me and kind of try to get me to feel insecure. And he just, this tape over and over in my head. Give me a break, Dudley. Who's going to want to come and listen to you talk about how to be a man? Forget it. So the day before the first men's fraternity, I said to God, Lord, I feel like throwing up. And one of the things 
that I found helpful is to allow God to ask me the why question over and over again. To kind of get down to what's really going on inside me. A friend of mine calls it doing an archaeological dig on your feelings. So I heard God say, well, why do you feel that way? And I said, I'm afraid no one's going to show up. Well, why are you afraid of that? Well, it might reflect poorly on me. Well, why do you care? Because I don't want to look like a fool. Why? Because I've had a lot of shame put on me in my life, and that hurt, and I don't ever want to go back there, God. And then I heard God say, well, that was when you were a kid. And I'm trying to heal you of all of that, but I need you to surrender your fears first and do this men's fraternity thing because that's part of how I'm going to make you whole. There's a cost to surrendering to Jesus. And we know it. And it's what makes us afraid to surrender. But there's also a huge benefit, which I'll tell you about now. So we last left Paul and Silas. They were chained up in prison. And then the story goes on. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. The jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them and he was filled with joy. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Surrender has a cost, but it also has a huge payoff in two words, freedom and joy. The contrast in this story could not be clearer. Paul is in jail, but who's free? Right? When you can sing when you've just been beaten, then you are free. When you can sing when the Dow Jones drops 700 points, you are free. When you can sing when the doctor tells you that you've got cancer, then you're free. And you are free with a freedom that can never be taken away from you because your joy is not dependent on circumstances. It comes from a deep connection with your Father in heaven who loves you. You see, surrender isn't just about giving stuff up because God is this masochist and he just wants us to give stuff up for the sake of giving stuff up. That's not what surrender is. Surrender is emptying ourselves of all the stuff that we think is going to make us happy but doesn't. So that Jesus can fill us back up again with his good gifts. Things like joy and intimate connection with God. And a deep experience of the Father's love that gives us this confidence and this courage that he's with us. Let me demonstrate this visually. This glass is your soul. You may find that a reductive way to describe the complexity that is you, but just go with me on the metaphor. And the water, you'll notice, is murky. And I had to put all kinds of stuff in this water this morning to get it to look this bad. And this stuff represents all the things in our lives, in our souls, in our time that we think is going to make us happy. Money, reputation, pleasure, comfort, success, our frantic efforts to control other people, the anger that we keep hanging on to. And we know deep down that it's no good for us. I mean, look at that. That can't be good, right? And we know deep down we're not really living the abundant life. Our deep thirst for significance, transcendence, community, is not really being met. But our culture tells us this is good water. Our culture tells us this is the stuff you want to drink. And we've been drinking it so long, we don't know the difference. And God says, would you surrender that to me? And we say, you know, I know it's murky water, but it's all I've got. If I give it up, I'm going to really be thirsty. I mean, it's murky, but it's mine. And God says, 
Trust me. So maybe we, maybe we take a step and maybe we just pour out a little bit. We empty ourselves, surrender just a little bit. Maybe some time, do a short-term mission trip, serve someone, something like that. Maybe we empty ourselves, surrender just a little bit more. Maybe that anger we're hanging on to against someone, we kind of surrender that and surrender that person to God. You know? Or maybe, some, you know, maybe something comes along like a recession and our 401k is cut in half and whoa, there it goes, you know, oh no. <laughs> Whether we wanted to or not, there, you know, it's gone, right? And now we're empty. And God goes, good, now I can do something. So he pours his love into us and he swishes it around because otherwise the metaphor won't work. <laughs> Cleans us out, you know. And then what does he do? He fills us back up with his good stuff that quenches our thirst. Peace, love, joy, courage, strength, you name it. He's got it and he pours it into us. If we will just... Surrender the junk and empty ourselves. Last week I was praying about some stuff that I was wrestling with, some decisions here at work that I needed to make that were difficult, some challenges my wife and I are having with one of our kids, and some conflict between people where, as the pastor, I'm responsible to help them work out the conflict, but, you know, it's, we're not kind of getting anywhere, and it's really hard. And I was trying to control God in all this. You know, God do this, God do that. Make it this way, make it that way. And then I thought, well, wait, what are we preaching on this fall? Okay, surrender. I'm the preacher. I probably should surrender it. And I was in my car by the lake where I sometimes pray. And this, this doesn't happen always. In fact, it rarely happens. But I closed my eyes and I got this picture in my mind of Jesus sitting next to me in the passenger seat, which metaphorically is all wrong. And I'm an English major, so it bugged me. But I pushed through it. And then I started to feel this weight on my shoulders, but it was a, a good weight, like a thick blanket on a cold night. And I started to lean over further and further and further, but I didn't notice I was doing it until I opened my eyes and I saw that my head was resting on what would have been Jesus' chest had he actually been there in the passenger seat, which is metaphorically all wrong, but I pushed through it. And then I realized that the weight on my shoulders was Jesus' arm pulling me toward him. But it wasn't a soft, comforting hug kind of feeling. It was rugged. It was, it was affirming. Maybe like a, the hand of a coach on an athlete saying, you've got it, I'm putting you in the game, get out there and win. Or maybe like the hand of a father on a son saying, I'm proud of you. Or maybe like the hand of an older brother saying, you and me, let's go have this adventure together. It's going to be great. So I kind of pictured all these burdens in my hand, and I leaned over and I gave them to Jesus, and I said, Lord, I believe these belong to you. And he took them. And then that was it. The pictures in my head went away. We were done. That was it. Now, I still don't know the answer to those burdens. I just knew Jesus was there. And he was with me. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where he was taking me. But he did. And that's all that matters. And I left feeling confident, peace, courage, strength, joy. Because you see, when you connect with the God of the universe like that, and it does not happen to me all the time, but when you connect with the God of the universe like that, you don't care what comes your way. You can deal with anything because you know you're standing on solid ground. I emptied myself of all the stuff I was hanging on to, and he filled me back up with peace, joy, courage, strength, and all the rest. So how about you? What are you hanging on to that you just can't surrender? Is it your image? your reputation, your status, success? Is it just your day-to-day -day life? Could you start to pray tomorrow, Lord, what are you doing here? Can I help right here today? What do you want to do? Can I help? 
Is it unforgiveness or anger you're hanging on to? Something in your marriage, your time, your kids, your fears? Whatever it is, will you pour them into Jesus' hand? Will you surrender it so you're empty so he can fill you back up again? I recently read a true story about a 92-year-old woman named Pauline Jacoby who says she reads her Bible every day and that Jesus gives her strength, keeps her strong. Well, last year she was coming out of the grocery store one day when she got in her car and a man jumped in the passenger seat with a gun and said he was going to shoot her if she didn't give him money. Well, she said from there the good Lord just took, her, just took over. She said no to him three different times. And then she said, you know, if you kill me, I'm going to go to heaven, but you're just going to be miserable. And she said, Jesus is right here in this car and he, he goes everywhere that I go and he loves you and he'd be happy to forgive you because he, he loves you. And the guy said, well, maybe I'll go home tonight and pray. And she said, no, no, you can do it right now. Why wait? He's right here right now. And he loves you. And he wants you to pray and he wants, he wants to forgive you. And then she gave him all the money she had, $10. And she said, I'm not going to let you take this from me, but I'll give it to you because Jesus loves you. Just don't spend it on whiskey. Well, the man started to cry, probably because no one had ever loved him before. And he leaned over and he kissed her cheek and then he left. She said she went home, she thought about what had happened for a few minutes, then she laid down and took a nap. <laughs> now let me ask you a question. Is some 92-year-old woman more courageous than you are? Yeah, pretty much me too, yeah. <laughs> but I want to be that brave. I want to be that free. I want to have that much joy. And I think the way we get there is doing what Miss Jacoby did for her whole life. Surrender every minute to Jesus. Do what he says, even if it doesn't make sense. I mean, that little thing in the car did not make sense, right? Let him guide you regardless of the cost, and he will fill you back up again. With love so deep it can't be fathomed. Life so strong it'll never die. Peace that can't be taken away. Rest that won't be disturbed. Joy that can't be diminished. Hope that never disappoints. Light that will never be darkened. Purity that can't be defiled. Beauty that won't be marred. Wisdom that can't be baffled. And resources that will never end. On the other side, you can say amen by the way. <laughs> On the other side of surrender is a banquet. You just got to come hungry. So put down the junk food, empty yourself, come hungry, and he will fill you 